Well, good afternoon, church. I'm saying you look beautiful. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. Is anybody else feeling like the air conditioning not really on? It, it does feel a little bit warm. If you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to join me as we look at his word this afternoon. I don't always share family secrets, but I'm going to share one right now. Uh, Sherry doesn't really love to hear me sing. Uh, and it's because... Even though I never remember the lyrics, it doesn't stop me from making up my own. Uh, and all that to say is you should not trust me, and you should bring a Bible with you, or else take the Bible in the pew pocket in front of you. We're going to be on page 1023, or in my Bible, 1 John chapter 4, as we speak this fourth uh, Advent Sunday on the arrival or the coming of love. And by the way, if you're looking for something else to add to your prayer list, I, I feel like I might have brought a bit of anxiety into our GBC leadership team because I am not afraid to embrace um, risk. In, in fact, I hardly have ever heard of a bad idea that I'm not willing to try at least once. Uh, and and I, maybe I get this from my childhood because, you know, when you're a boy in the West, especially in the Wild West of Canada... You grow up with your heart and your mind filled with all of these stories of explorers and you dream of one day being like Vasco da Gama, you know, traveling around the world, exploring land that no white eye has ever seen before. You want to be something like, you know, Ferdinand Magellan or at, at least James T. Kirk. You know, one of those explorers. You know, so, so my heart and mind is filled with stories. And that means, like, 1492 is a big year for me. Susan, not that I was there. Susan's going, what? 1492? You know, Columbus sailed the ocean blue? You know, learn that poem. I mean, we grew up on that poem. This man who dared convention. To dare believe that maybe if he sailed west, he wouldn't in fact sail off the edge of the earth. And, and so I um, loved his story of when on that year he won sponsorship from the Queen of Spain to sail and open perhaps a new route to flavor. You, you know it wasn't really about gold. It was discovering a shorter route to good European food, to the Indies, to India and Indonesia, where all those spices created such amazing flavor. And up until that moment, every sailor, sailor had to go around the, the Cape of Good Hope, and many died there. And so he had this extraordinary ambition. And when he finally made landfall on a, a remote island that we now know is a part of the Bahamas, he, he knelt and prayed a prayer of gratitude that the God of providence had brought him to India. Little did he know that he was some 20,000 kilometers short of his goal. And so when he returned to the courts of Spain in the presence of Queen Isabella, he crossed his arms and with great pious arrogance, he declared, 
the execution of the voyage to the Indies. In this, I did not use intelligence or math or maps. We tell your children, study math, it helps. You know, and, and that's why for 500 years, every tribal person was called Indian. And, and when 10 years after he landed in Bahamas, when, when that other great Italian explorer, Amerigo Vespucci, when he discovered a much larger landmass north of the Bahamas, they decided to name the Indians after him, American Indians. Now, now, here's my point. Um, this was a noble goal, to, to find a new route to good food and flavorful spices. This is noble. And, and we do that in regards to all of the things that come at Advent. We, we have a goal to define them, to describe the feelings we have when peace comes, when hope exists. When, when joy enters our, our hearts and we, we have a noble goal in regard to love, but we don't realize we're approximately 20,000 kilometers short of God's definition of Advent love. And so this afternoon we're looking at when love comes or the, the coming of love in this fourth Sunday of Advent, we are going to discover that when love arrives, He equips us to love different. Now, if you're a grammar girl, you're probably thinking I should be saying love differently. That works for you, it's okay. I'm just saying love different. And, and so we see first in verses 7 and 9, He equips us to love unconditionally. Listen to this, verses 7 and 8. Uh, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. You see, God loves different Different than my culture has preconditioned me to love. In fact, the Apostle John begins this verse, verse 7, with a play on words. Beloved, it's passive, right? It's those who have been loved. Agapitoi, agapemon, that play on words. Those of you who have been loved, then love. And it's, it's important that we know that this love is not conditioned upon that person loving you first. It's not conditioned upon the benefits I might bring to his image. You know, God is not looking for a trophy follower. So you should be relaxed when you feel his love coming over you. It's not because of anything good you bring to his image. He doesn't love us because he needs our talents. Otherwise, he wouldn't need to give us his gifts. It's, it's not any kind of love my culture and my context has taught me 
to expect. God loves different. He loves not for any reason. I can imagine, in fact, God loves me for no good reason, except He is love. Uh, His love is conditional. I'll be honest, my love is, is not and yours isn't either. I, um, I love Sherry, and I love Singapore, and I love dogs, by the way, and Prata. It's not the same thing, but Prata loves me back. <laughs> it's impossible for these two brothers not to go eat Prata at least twice a week, just sharing what your pastors do on our off time. And you may remember this too, because I remember 38 years ago, the first question I was thinking in regard to Sherry was, I wonder if she um, actually likes me. Because we're preconditioned to love those who love us back. And I know that quite a few of us are married And if you are, if you think hard enough, you remember those early days, those days full of tension, when when both of you, not telling one another, were wondering the same thing. Who is going to be first to say it? You know what it is, right? It's I love you. And, and, and some of you brothers, it causes you so much stress. You've only ever said it one time. And think that's still good, right? That is human love. It's not God love. This anxiety that I'm free to love if I know that person loves me back, that's a conditional love. And I'm almost willing to guarantee that somewhere in this room there is a young lady who has heard this this week. If you really loved me, you would. We're raised and shaped by conditional love that loves with expectation. I guarantee there's someone in this room who can remember when a parent said, if you were just like your brother, you had a haircut like mine, you heard that a lot. right? So I grew up, the church people would like me if I just got my haircut. Took those earrings out. Then they'd like me. You see, you see, it's conditioned on the performance, the good performance of the object of affection. That is what has raised us. But Jesus came being love unconditional. He decided he would receive glory, not from me, but from loving me. This is a surprisingly difficult gift for us to receive because our context and our culture has informed us you got to bring something to the table. 38 years ago, my my uni buddies would say, oh, yeah, Sherry likes you. It's just because you're a foreigner. (laughs) You know, it's got to be some reason. 
There can't be no good reason except that someone's got so much affection is just bleeding out of us. Unconditional Advent love comes without ifs. It just is. And, and hear me, GBC, because you know what? I love you. But churches fail. We fail when we model some version of religious practice over an unconditional acceptance of this unconditional affection. The reason we are here is not because we all agree on the right religious dogma. Bible information is not transformational. The reason we are here is while we were yet aliens and strangers, unconditional love embraced us. You can look, maybe, maybe you're more of a Bible scholar than I am, but, but I haven't found the part where Christ negotiated with the Father and said, if you could guarantee me those people would love me back, then I'll go. No such record. Because Advent love is not conditioned upon any benefits we bring to His name. It is simply a result of He is love. So we need to check ourselves, pastors, elders. We, we need to check ourselves. Why are we so concerned about evangelism being the theme for 2017? Is it because we really have ambition for His glory? Is it really because we want to grow? Because if we're just about His glory, we're going to be all over loving as Christ has loved. And verse 8 says, anyone who does not love this way doesn't know God. Because God is this unconditional. No promises offered. No conditions given. Lavish, sacrificial love. So, what about sacrifice? Second in verses 9 and 10. He equips us to love sacrificially. In this, the love of God was made, made excuse me, manifest among us. That God sent His Son, His only Son into the world, that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, in this two verses, there, there are two Bible words, two church words that most of your friends, in fact, most all of us seldom use. The first word is Manifest. This is the love of God. It was made manifest in us. That, that word basically means obvious. Now, if you fly a lot, you might occasionally, especially if, by the way, you fly United, because the flight attendants, is, they're, they're on the older side of youth. I'm thinking they don't hear well and don't realize all of us customers can hear them. 
So it's because of that that I've heard them talking about the, the flight manifest. Have you heard that term? The flight manifest. It's the last thing they wait for before they close the door. They can't leave until they have the passenger or flight manifest. And what the manifest is, is a list of every single customer who is checked in to that flight, who has gone through and had their little ticket scanned. They're on that flight manifest. In other words, it lets them know the, who is obviously here. And th- this is what the apostle is saying. And, and so the love of God is made obvious among us. God sent his only son so that we might live through him. And then that second church word, propitiation, um, it comes actually from, again, a Latin verb. Propitiere. you got to say it like an Italian. Propitiere. It means to appease. Now, all, all over the world, many different religions offer offerings to appease the gods or the ghosts. I just want to make sure you realize that that offering we gave was not given in order to appease the king of creation. Uh, It's not given for that reason. We, We give God a token of things we need. There, I don't care how wealthy you are. When that bag came by, you could have used what you put in that offering. Because we don't give that offering to appease the God of love. We give that offering to say, this I could use. In fact, for some of us, this I need this week. I am giving to demonstrate my absolute trust in God's provision. But this word, appease, reminds us that love arrives sacrificially. Why? Because Jesus really didn't have this idea to start a whole new religion that was a little bit better than all the other religions that currently existed in the first century. That was not his plan. It was not his plan to to be appeased by our offerings. It was not his plan to be a glorious military liberator. It was not his plan to be appeased by our service. He doesn't need my talents, remember. That's why he gives his gifts. His plan was to appease the wrath of God on a sinful world. To satisfy the raging appetite of a cross for my blood. That's what sacrificial love does. Why does he love unconditionally? Because through his sacrifice, he satisfied the conditions. He came. Not just to teach. He came to die. To pay the price. So please. um, I had a dear brother tell me this week. You know the Old Testament. Exists so that we could know what the wrath of God is like. No. The clearest picture of the wrath of God. Is not the plagues of Egypt. It's the cross of Calvary. 
where all of perfection was brutalized because of sin. He satisfied the wrath of God. And so he sacrificially loves without condition. So, um, I'm going to say it. Please don't hear me um, judging GBC's mission statement. But, But I'm consistently a little bit troubled by mission statements. You know, just being honest. Because it seems like every church tries to be really, like, creative with their mission statement. So, in the best case scenario, what we're really saying is, okay, here's how we do everything in here a little bit better than the church you're currently going to. You know, you know, somehow we nuance what, what is really important because, well, here's an example. In, in Mark's uh, gospel, chapter 12, and verses 30 and 31, uh, someone goes up to Jesus and says, so Jesus, what's the you know, biggest idea? Right? What, what's the most important command? I mean, let's just assume we're busy people. My, my Bible, you know, it's got almost 1,200 pages. Let's just assume I, I can't do all of this. I mean, just distill it down. What's the big thing? Just give me the big thing to do. And, and, and here's what's really important. And Jesus responded. You know, I, I would have thought, no, you know, I would say, listen, you need to get in a discipleship group. You need, you need to fill yourself up with a lot of Bible knowledge, really. Because if you don't have a lot of Bible knowledge, what are you going to share, man, really? You just got to be an expert in it. But Jesus responded with grace. And here's what he said in verses 30 and 31. This is it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than this. How about this mission statement? Love God, love others, boom, mission done. I mean, why compliment it? If you just love God and love others, then everything else will find, you'll find yourself right beneath his pleasure. But but did you notice that Jesus, when he was asked for one thing, he actually gave two? Give me one thing. And Jesus, well, here's two. And then there's no other commandment greater than this, as if it's only one. Because they're related. If Christ, now listen, if Christ did not come that first Advent season in order to establish a religion, then why are we every Sunday gathering together doing religious stuff? But if he came as Advent affection, then the only reason we exist is to model His Advent affection. Beloved, those of you who have been loved, love. It's why we exist, our simple Advent task. But finally, He equips us not just to love unconditionally or sacrificially. He equips us to love lavishly. And the 
The terrible thing about it is you can find Jesus telling you what loving lavishly looks like. Uh, verse 11, he says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Essentially, he's just repeating verse 7 with a first-class conditional clause, which literally would say, Beloved, if God so loved us, and he has, we ought to also love. Matthew chapter 5, I find Jesus defining what lavish love is like. In verses 43 and through 45, he says this, You have heard what the law says. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, listen, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight both to the evil and the good. He sends rain on both the just and the unjust alike. Not only is this surprisingly difficult in our culture to embrace. It's surprisingly difficult a task to accomplish. Why? Because he asks us not just to be stewards of this love. Right? Recipients, stewards. Not just recipients of grace, grace but stewards of grace. That's why you want to serve, please do. I had a dear brother, I love this brother, and he's discipling many. And he said just before one of his, that he is mentoring, is getting ready to lead a Bible study, he said to me, now, um, brother, you know, he's not really experienced at this, so, you know, don't critique him too harshly. No, I don't do that. Be like the Apostle Paul. It's not for me to judge another man's servant. We're called not only to be recipients of grace, but to be stewards of grace. Not only to be recipients of this unconditional love, but to be stewards of it. Stewards don't hoard stuff. We invest it in others. That's what stewards do. Jesus knew what Jews knew and that, that they were raised in Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18. Do not seek revenge or bear grudge against a who? Fellow Israelite. But love your neighbor as yourself. That's why everybody wanted to know. So just really pretty much you need to define my neighbor. If you could do that because I don't have much to go around. Just define it in terms of the fewest people possible. And Jesus wrecks them by telling the story of loving a Samaritan and a Jew. You understand why this is important. You understand why this lavish love, not just on those who love us back, but on those who hate us, is so important. First of all, if we have our Father's DNA... He and our neighbors expect us to act like Him. If we claim to have the Lord's genes, His spiritual DNA, we will act like the Father who gave us 
rebirth. I have had the traumatic experience, like many of you, of watching videos that come on on the situation in Aleppo. One of those videos provided another link. And I watched this video. It moved me to tears until the end because the video was about a benevolent Jewish organization that was taking its ministry to Palestinians who were cut off from aid. And a Palestinian mother had brought in her child, her only child, a son who had a heart murmur that could not be fixed in the slums of the West Bank. And this Jewish benevolent organization raised money for a life-changing surgery. And the video showed this Palestinian mother rocking while her child was in the operating theater being operated by Jewish surgeons, funded by Jewish money. And after it was over, they came out and they said, your boy is going to live a long and healthy life. And she began to weep. And then the man behind the camera asked her, now do you have hopes? Do you dare have a hope for your child? Do you know what she said? Yes, I hope one day my child will grow up and kill Jews. Do you understand that we live in a broken and fallen world? And in a broken and fallen world, hatred is interwoven into our culture. Do you understand that in Jesus' day, it was no different than our day for Palestinians. They lived as an occupied people. For, for two generations, their, their heroes had been killed or crucified. They didn't know how to love their Roman occupiers. They only knew hatred. It was woven into their context and their culture. And you know, you can go no place in this world, in Singapore, where you do not exist in a broken, fallen world that is occupied by people who don't like you. Because I, I think it's fascinating that Jesus did not say, hey, um, by the way, just in case you have enemies one day. He, he, he didn't say, I'm sure this won't happen to you, but some people, you know, you're going to have an enemy. He assumed in an occupied nation, in a broken nation, in fallen world, you will have opportunity to expose your enemies to unconditional, sacrificial, lavish affection. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Both those words, love and pray, are verbs. It's not a feeling. It's not getting together in a once-a-week self-help group saying, yeah, I'm, I'm really starting to feel like I love my neighbors in McPherson. It's an action. Agape-o, not just agape. 
It's an action. Love those who despise you. Love them and pray for them. Luke remembers it this way in chapter 6, verse 35. Love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward in heaven will be very great. And listen, you will truly be acting like children of the Most High. And then he gives evidence. It's called general revelation. When something about his creation points to him, we call that general revelation. And he says, have you not noticed that he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good? He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Friend, have you not noticed that a judgment cloud does not follow the neighbor that hates you? And keep the sun from shining on his compound so his lady fingers don't grow? Have you, have you not noticed that rain falls on everyone's garden? That is a sign of this lavish, unconditional affection of a good creator God. You know, this is why church growth experts will often say, that the Christian faith grows most rapidly in context of great hostility. Because it's within the context and culture of hostility that this kind of love is so radically, miraculously obvious. I want to ask you to bow with me for just a moment. Not... Not immediately to pray, but to look down at your listening guide. I don't know if you heard the two challenging things in this Advent affection. One is accept this unconditional love that has taught us to be something in order to be loved, to do something in order to be loved. This is an unconditional love which says, Ian, you bring nothing to the table. That's why this love is so challenging to accept. Because intellectually, I can't get my head around this. But there are some in this room here today you just need to start with that number one. You just need to start realizing, um, stop trying to get better. It's not about being more faithful in church. You can't buy your way into God's affection by throwing more money into that bag or learning more of His Bible information. but accepting the fact that there is nothing in you or about you that is beautiful except that He loves you. This affection is passive on our part. I wasn't out looking for it. It pursued me and ran me down. 
It didn't find me in good shape. It just found me. And, and if you're here this afternoon, it's not about the shape that you're in. You may be broken. You may even not be able to imagine how it would be possible for this thing to even be true. Good news for you. His affection for you is unconditional. And then for some of us, we, we've already accepted that. And it felt good, didn't it? We, we felt the burden lifted. Many of us can still remember that day or that evening when we said, God, I'm turning. I'm turning from the grave and I'm turning towards you. Fill me up with that joy and that peace and that hope and that love that comes to that. Fill me up with that. The stuff that's only you. Fill me up. You remember how great it was to be a recipient of that unconditional, sacrificial, lavish affection. Have you also remembered that for the king of creation, there's no separation between his affection for you and the one we sing about, the one we share that we have for him and our obligation to have it for others. The lovable, the unlovable. Those who are like us, and especially those who are not. Do you know that this context, Singapore, has supplied us with an opportunity in which those neighbors, one time a year, are open to saying yes to you. And that opportunity is called Christmas. If you look down on your listener's guide, I ask you specifically, think of one thing you will do to actively represent, to be a steward of this unconditional, sacrificial, lavish love. That one thing has a name. He or she may not like you. He or she might never have been kind to you one time. But I wonder if you would dare be equipped of his power to say, hey, um, this Christmas, I'd like you to come as my guest to hear about a God who comes bringing affection and hope and joy peace and I dare you write her name down write his name down and then we pray Father God if you would equip us with affection not courage but a love that is so enormous, so lavish that we could not help but invite a friend to come and join us next Sunday to hear about the good news that came in the flesh of a little Palestinian Jew. W would you 
empower us with that kind of affection? Would you fill us with the intention to be good stewards, not just of grace, but of Advent love? The kind of love that pursued each of us, that is pursuing some of us right now. Would you help us to be stewards of that love? And for those who are here who, who suddenly be, have begun to realize, I, I'm probably not here by accident. I can, I'm running out of logical reasons. Would you draw near to them? And help them to know what it feels like to be embraced by Advent love. Unconditional, sacrificial love that pays for every condition. Would you help them to know you this Christmas season? We ask this in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Let us now rise for the song of response.